He led them out of the village and round the foot of the hill, through flowers and foliage, by rock and rivulet, past rose-crowned pergolas and rose-twined trellises, through small pavilions embowered in peonies, where a scent of sweetbriars stole or pliant plantains waved, until they came to a place where a musical murmur of water issued from a cave in the rock. The cave was half-failed by a green curtain of creeper, and the water below was starred with bobbing blossoms. What a delightful spot, the literary gentleman exclaimed. Very well, gentlemen. What are you going to call it? said Jojo. Everybody, welcome to another exciting installation of Rereading the Stone. Uh, Kevin Wilson here, joined as always by William Jones. Will, how are things? Not too bad. It is morning. It is a miserable day outside, uh, so a perfect time to be tucked up indoors. Talking and reading about this you know, luxurious, elaborate garden. We are still doing chapter 17. Uh, this is a, quite a trek. Uh, this, this leisurely stroll involves no shortage of, uh, linguistic bramble, you know, uh, we're in the weeds. We're, we're like, uh, it's like, it's kind of a mixed metaphor, but we're, uh, you know, we're, we're tramping through, some very difficult but really interesting material um, yeah we're we are we are in the in a in a thicket of uh classical chinese poetry and illusion definitely we're gonna see shortly that uh jia Zheng gets a bit tired from all this walking around and needs to have a rest okay and uh i'm sure you'd agree that's the feeling that maybe you and i have about this chapter it's a bit like in chapter five when uh, Bao Yu hears, you know, song after song after song, and he has to take a rest, and so he, he goes to dream in the dream. Uh, maybe Jia Zheng is getting his own taste of that uh, sort of poetic medicine. Um, should we do a recap? Sure. So we're about halfway through the chapter, and um, what has happened is the central family of the novel, the, the Jia clan, uh, who are a, a wealthy noble family with these kind of two particularly famous and influential branches, the Rong branch and the Ning branch. They live in two next-door mansions, and one of the young women of the Jia clan 
uh, has been selected as an imperial concubine. But the emperor has decided that, that she and all the other concubines should be permitted to return to see their families from time to time. Um, and so in order to have an appropriately grand place to receive her when she visits, the Jia family has decided to convert part of their, their mansions to a new kind of grand Chinese garden. And this has taken a lot of planning and work and time. Uh, and now we're seeing the finished product. So a group of uh, men from the family are doing a, a kind of gentle perambulation around the garden uh, and stopping to admire the different, uh, the different views. And uh, as they go, they have been giving poetic names to different parts of the garden and composing little rhyming couplets to match those names. Um, and this has led to a kind of a sort of intellectual one-upmanship between, on the one hand, Jia Zheng, who is this kind of strict, upright Confucian, um, um, and on the other hand, his son, Jia Baoyu, who is a bit more kind of mercurial. Um, he is described in the previous... Well, he's described in this chapter, but in, in when we were looking at it previously, as having a kind of perverse talent. Um, the Chinese term is wai cai, um, Tai being talent and why being being literally the opposite of this term Jung, which means kind of upright and kind of proper and so his talent is one that's um Maybe the opposite of his father's, right? Of of Jia Zheng. Yeah, exactly. So so the Jung in Jia Zheng's name is is a different Jung character, but it's very clearly intended to be a homophone of this Jung meaning kind of upright and um and proper uh so he is yeah he's absolutely the the opposite of his father um so there's this this kind of uh yeah sort of one-upmanship of a sort between the father on the one hand i think he considers himself to be kind of knowledgeable and educated and more importantly he thinks his son is feckless and stupid and frankly not really deserving of any time um and uh, and this is kind of mediated by Jia Zhong's literary gentlemen. They're called in in the in the English uh, translation by Hawks. They're kind of hangers on, you know. They're they're men who are who are educated, but who are not really wealthy, and so they they look to Jia Zhong as their kind of patron. Um, and accordingly, they are yeah, they kind of suck up to him. They're very obsequious, both to him and to his son. So we got up to about halfway through the journey through the garden. We'd seen various different bits, and I guess we're going to see a couple more in this in this half. Okay, let's let's jump right into it then. So we're we're I've been thinking of this as sort of like rounds of like a, a boxing match, which again is not a, a perfect metaphor because it's really it's not as if Jajung is offering his own poetic stylings although at one point it seems as if he is considering it uh it's really this very one-sided uh kind of uh Bao Yu is forced to produce a poem and Jia Zheng says something critical of it uh so you know it's not exactly a it's <laughs> it's relatable to uh it's our own kind of educational system you know when do your when do your professors ever write essays for you <laughs> yeah that that's right, isn't it? Right. <laughs> that, 
thinking of it as a as a competition is you're right it's not quite apt um, yeah yeah it is much more like the student must perform for the master and the master kind mm-hmm. of condescends to kind of critique their work um okay this is this is round four um this is basically the description going up to the next the next place that they're going to um write a poem about so we have to kind of uh i I think we have to read this to, to set the scene effectively they had been moving on as he spoke but were presently brought to a halt by a steeply sloping hill which rose up in front of them having negotiated its foot they could see almost concealed in a fold halfway up the other side of it a dun-colored adobe wall crowned with a coping of rice straw thatch. Inside it were several hundred apricot trees, whose flowering tops resembled the billowing rosy clouds of some vegetable volcano. In their midst stood a little group of reed-thatched cottages. Um, and, and so before the show, we were kind of uh, squinting our eyes at uh, the Hawks' translation of... Uh, Jungsha as vegetable volcano. Um, we, we can kind of imagine the image there a little bit. Um, these rosy clouds we've talked about in the past. That's the idea of the uh, of the Taisha. The uh, this kind of the that, that ten minute period or so right before the uh, sun disappears at sunset or. Or also at sunrise, uh, this like liminal moment where the light illuminates the clouds in the sky, um, and so that's actually been a, a kind of a recurring color and maybe a color metaphor. Yeah, it's a um, recognizable motif of the uh, of the novel, certainly uh, um, for sure. Right, uh, the the vegetable volcano is, I guess, a, a bit of a newer image. I think it's the uh, is that a, a cooking metaphor? I was a little bit um I was a little bit thrown off by the 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 hawk's translation there. Yeah. So so I mean the Chinese is you have these hundreds of uh of I guess stands of apricot trees. But really I guess he he means the apricot blossoms themselves which I guess are um have a kind of orangey mm-hmm. redness to them maybe. And so I guess that's where the the similarity to that you know orangey pinkish sunrise or sunset color comes from maybe like i was kind of imagining like billowing clouds of smoke coming out of um something being cooked maybe is that the idea like yeah i guess that's it isn't it when you have a a um an active volcano mm-hmm. you'll have some kind of crater at the top i suppose and if you're approaching from below you'll see a rim and clouds of steam or, or smoke coming from inside it, and it may be illuminated by the color of the of the lava or some other, or from some other source, and that's kind of maybe what he's getting at. Um, whereas here, they're not seeing the entirety of the trees; they're just seeing that portion that pokes out above the top of these, this dun-colored adobe wall uh, that that he mentions. Um, it's it is slightly unusual, um, but I, I kind of. I do get the thrust of what he's trying to to say. Either way, there's a lot of really, I think, very vibrant colors in this scene. The uh, the steeply sloping hill in the original is uh, Qingshan, so it's it's the same kind of this like 
another maybe another green sickness peak for us to uh yeah you know they're they're multiplying they're replicating um, <laughs> this one is interesting to me it's in the kind of nook of a of a, an artificial hill they have built a little cluster of kind of mock uh country cottages and and i mean it goes on to say you know mm -hmm. they have even kind of little pretend vegetable patches so they have a well they have thorn yes. trees uh forming a kind of hedge and then yeah yeah they have it says row upon row of miniature fields full of healthy looking vegetables and flowers so so yeah it's it's a it's a it's a kind of mock village isn't it <laughs> uh-huh um we discussed last time you know the i think marie antoinette came up briefly uh and i kind of um maybe i prefigured this scene because uh, this is the real kind of uh or, or i should say the hyper real perhaps village uh where you know the the wealthy get to uh, simulate poverty as a form of like austerity. Yeah, in, in the uh, aesthetic sense, not in, in in no relation to uh, economic policy. Although that again, that's the same kind of um, deceptive metaphor. So I mean, uh, it's one of the things that people kind of know best about Marie Antoinette, isn't it? Uh, that she had this. I think the name in French is Amour de la Reine, so the Queen's Hamlet, basically. Which was exactly that, a kind of little mock uh, mock village where uh -huh. she and her friends could kind of uh, hang out and, and, and play. Uh, and in a similar way, you know, it had a, an actual farmhouse, uh, you know, barns, a mill, these sorts of things. So she could kind of play at being um, a peasant. And it evokes a, a similar kind of response from, um, from Jia Zheng, right? You know, he, he loves it, yeah. He likes it even more than the previous um, location. In that way, his reaction um, differs greatly from, from Bao Yu, as we're going to see. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting because to me, this kind of echoed something from a few chapters back. I think it was chapter 15, where they're part of the funeral procession, traveling through the countryside to this temple of the Iron Threshold, where Qin Shi's body mm. will be laid to rest. A couple of them, Baoyu included, stop uh, at a village on the way to have a short rest. And um, and actually, at the time, we were wondering whether this village were was a, a real village or whether they were kind of performing for tourists who might come by. So if, if there's any doubt at that moment, there could be no doubt here. Yeah. Um, and they even mention... Don't they mention moving people into this space? Uh, they're they're going to add some of the... They're going to like really fill out the this Epcot scene, basically. They say, oh yeah, that um, they should have some farmyard birds. You know, hens, ducks, geese, and so on. So yeah, presumably they will have... It, it, it must okay. require staff to kind of tend it as well. But there is some similarity between that... Uh, the village in the earlier chapter and this this kind of mock village. The, the houses are described in the same way. So the thatched cottages, they're called Mao in um, Chinese, um, which, yeah, Wu being a kind of house building and Mao being kind of reeds or rush, you know, rushes, that sort of thing, and anything you could use for thatch. Um, and yeah, I, I remember at the time we were looking at that, thinking of it as being mm -hmm. slightly kind of 
condescending, I suppose. Um, but that, I think, strikes me as very much more real than, um, than whatever this is. <laughs> whatever this is. We've actually, I've used the term hyper-real a few times on the show, and I, and I wanted to like give a definition of that. And I guess the idea of hyper-reality, everyone knows it's, it's related to the French sociologist uh, Baudrillard. Mm. Uh, there's a book, Simulacra and Simulation. Um, and the idea of hyperreality is a model that is divorced from, you know, it's a, it's a sign purely divorced from what it's signified, what it's meant to signify. In this way, like the, the reality and fiction are um, confused or blended to the point where, you know, maybe there isn't any uh, reality behind it anymore. Uh, it's kind of its own uh, symbol unto itself. Although here, what's interesting is that, you know, there is, there probably are villages somewhere, you know, at this time in China or in the world where, you know, people are living more simple lives and they are, you know, tilling the uh, fields and uh, maybe a lot of their product is being um, consumed by themselves. So it's just kind of this, this enclosed system, right? But for the most part, you can imagine... Even, you know, even the most remote uh, parts of uh, the world system, parts of China or elsewhere, are already, you know, involved in commodity exchange. They're probably selling the things in the market. Uh, They're they're probably paying taxes with a currency, and that currency is tied to commodity prices. And uh, but it is like this kind of this like this fantasy that's kind of gone for a a walk, you know? Yeah, I I think I think that's that's right. You know, it's this is a rich person's idea of what country living is like and so it's very nice and neat and charming but it doesn't i think really match the reality of what um that life would actually be like um and actually that little speech i just gave it's not entirely dissimilar to the uh what what bao yu is about to say in a moment because he I would say it's during this round that he kind of uh, grows a backbone a little bit um, and, and he becomes more forceful in his opinions, even though he's still, you know, cowering in fear. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's really, it's, it's interesting. You, you see the, uh, the conflict is coming to a head. Uh, yeah. I think it would be good. We can, we can come back and talk about the name for this place and the poem they use. Um a bit later on yeah but, okay but the discussion about uh nature and artifice uh is is a, i think an interesting one to to kind of dip into okay so, yeah, so i mean bad. to begin with when they first enter jia Zhang is is kind of effusive in his praise for this place so i mean he says mm-hmm. ah now here is a place with a purpose it may have been made by human artifice but the sight of it is nonetheless moving In me, it awakens the desire to get back to the land, to a life of rural simplicity. Let us go in and rest a while. And when they're discussing it, Bao Yu says that he prefers um, one of the earlier um, kind of parts of the garden that they've been to. And, you know, his father responds, Ignoramus, you have eyes only for painted halls and gaudy pavilions, the rubbishy trappings of wealth. What can you know of the beauty that lies in quietness and natural simplicity? This is a consequence of your refusal to study properly, you know. 
so he really takes him to task. Um, and actually, it's interesting to note that the the phrase he uses for uh, painted halls and gaudy pavilions is julo uh, huadong. And so that julo is very similar in meaning. It's like a, instead of honglo, uh, as in, you know, dream of the red chamber, honglo meng, uh, it's, it's like instead of red chamber or red mansion, it's... Uh, vermilion uh mansion and so th there is a kind of a reflexive moment there where they're i, I think it's the referencing the greater project and, and a few points in the texts uh there's sometimes just for poetic reasons that ju and hong are used yeah almost interchangeably but they, they get into this whole discussion of of uh nature uh, and, and what it means, you know, and so the yeah. term they're using is uh, tian, tian ran, tian being kind of, uh, mm -hmm. it can mean heaven or the sky, and ran is kind of like meaning something like, like, literally, so it's kind of natural like, I suppose, is, is the meaning of tian ran. And so they have this kind of debate about, about, about what it means, right? Right, this is, at, this is right after the comment about painted halls and gaudy pavilions. Uh, Bao Yu says... Your rebuke is, of course, justified, Father. But then I have never really understood what it was meant when the ancients said natural. And then the, the, the literary gentlemen are kind of surprised, taken aback. Um, and, and they give kind of a surface-level explanation of natural, of Tehran. They say, why? Fancy not knowing what natural means. You, you who have had such a good understanding of so much else they're trying to like uh they're trying to like be delicate in their uh, assessment here natural is that which is of nature that is to say that which is produced by nature as opposed to that which is produced by human artifice but then Bao Yu has you know his um his famous response he says uh there you are you see a farm set down in the middle of a place like this is obviously the product of human artifice. There are no neighboring villages, no distant prospects of city walls. The mountain at the back doesn't belong to any system. There is no pagoda rising from some tree-hid monastery in the hills above. There is no bridge below leading to a nearby market town. It sticks out of nowhere in total isolation from everything else. It isn't even a particularly remarkable view. Not nearly so natural in neither form or spirit as those other places we have seen. The bamboo in those other places may have been planted by human hand and the streams diverted out of their natural courses, but there was no appearance of artifice. That's why when the ancients used the term natural I have my doubts about what they meant. For example, when they speak of a natural painting, I can't help but wonder if they are not referring to precisely this forcible interference with the landscape to which I object, putting hills where they are not meant to be, and that sort of thing. However great the skill with which this is done, the results are never quite, and then he's cut off, because uh, Jia Zhang is uh, furious. Uh, and... We will recall that the the literary gentleman congratulated Jia Zheng about, you know, only he could have the idea 
it could be in his head to um, to place that that first huge hill mm. at the um, at the outset that obscured the the view of the um, of the garden and, and made it more mysterious. So it, it seems to be almost a direct uh, kind of criticism, not only of this location, but maybe the whole project, right? Um, yeah, and almost off the worldview mm-hmm. entirely. Yeah. You know? um, yeah. But but I think, yeah, you can see he's getting into the same point that, that, that we were discussing mm-hmm. just before, which is, uh, as you say, this isn't, it doesn't have the feeling of a village which has sprung up kind of organically i suppose um it's been dropped there right um and so it has none of the the things which you sort of expect to see you know when he's saying there's no bridge to a nearby city Mm -hmm. for example it's isolated it's artificial it's disconnected yeah um yeah even it's 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 not simply artifice but it's like artificial artifice it's one step removed it's it's self-consciously artificial there's an irony here well where he says you know it's not even a particularly remarkable view and the the chinese there is um for remarkable view it's uh da guan and so that's going to be that's actually going to be part of the final name for the uh da guan yuan the the name the full the entire garden garden, yeah and so it's again it's it's the it's not. It's the you know. It's well. It is the Jia family's Daguan Yuan. So it's the, the fake, uh, greater view. So let's talk about the um, this little mock village a bit, uh, and what they decide to call it and things. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So because of the presence of the apricot trees, they first settle on uh, a apricot village, Xinhua uh, Tun. Um, and this is on a personal note mm-hmm. a little bit funny to me because uh so uh, I, I live in hong kong at the moment and there is a um a housing estate and a nearby like subway station with the same name which is exactly this name uh in in in, in cantonese it's um hang fa chun but um the the characters are exactly the same just pronounced differently and so when they hear this they think of this you know grand historic literary illusion as we'll explain in a second but for me uh you know i picture this slightly drab very ordinary um housing estate which is just i mean it's 10 or 15 more or less identical um <laughs> tower blocks of apartments um so they might be appropriating the same reference i, I think they are i think that's exactly it you know uh, um i think that you know housing developers have no shortage of um, overblown ambition in 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 naming their products uh, projects. Maybe they have like a, a computer algorithm that scans uh, tongue poetry and uh, looks for good expressions. <laughs> I mean, I don't mean to do it down. It's a perfectly nice spot. It's you know, it's pleasant. It's by the water. Okay. It's kind of r- relatively secluded for Hong Kong, but it is. Well, there you go. Do they have a winery? Is there a famous winery where you go? No, there is. There, there wasn't one. I've only been there once, uh, but there wasn't one uh, when I did visit. No, <laughs> it mostly just had blocks of flats and a car park. Okay. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, so do you want to talk us through this 
uh, this literary allusion to the the Apricot Village? Sure. Um, so this is a reference to a famous poem by Du Mu from the ninth century. So it's yeah, it's a it's a four line poem, uh, and it's the kind of seven character per li- per line format. Um, so in English, it's on the day of the Qingming Festival, a drizzly rain falls. On the road, a traveller, disconsolate, inquiring, where can an inn be found? A cowherd boy points far away to Apricot Blossom Village. Um, and so that's those last, the last bit, the reference to Apricot Blossom Village, Village Xinghua uh, Cun, they're, um, they're appropriating that for the, for the name. All right. So you can imagine, you know, you're like, you're a wary traveler, um, and just over the horizon is uh, kind of a, a a spot for rest and repose. Mm. But uh, the problem seems to be that this poem is a little too well known. I think even in is this where they say that there already is a town called Apricot Village? Yeah, it uh, seems like it. And so it's the same problem that you're having. Um, even you know, even in, in the Qing Dynasty, uh, yeah, this. This poem had been picked over. Yeah, yeah, and they say basically because it's, you know, because it is already a real village, um, they would have to seek a official permission uh, to use that name. That's that's a really curious remark, is it not? You can't name your your spot in your garden without official permission. <laughs> yeah, that's really funny. It is peculiar, isn't it? No, it's a kind of. It would be trademark infringement of a sort something like that <laughs> something very strange going on there um they're still thinking of that poem um when uh Bao Yu bursts in and he has a he has an idea he's, he's really excited for the, about this one and so he, he hasn't been invited yet to give a response um now mind you this is before the um the little speech we just gave um so we're kind of doing a little bit out of order um, and so Bao Yu says, there is an old poem which has the lines, above the flowering apricot, a hopeful ensign hangs. And so Bao Yu proposes, for the inscription on the stone, we ought to have the hopeful sign. Uh, and everyone likes it, of course, except... Except for Jia Zhang, of course. Uh, uh, there's something, I, I just want to point out real quick that like, if we're doing this like meta-analysis... I mean, basically, he's saying the the sign should read, "This is a sign," <laughs> and so that that kind of reinforces this kind of um, spurious reflexivity that's uh, underway. You know, like a good sign. You know, I mean, it's kind of like yeah. uh, a bit more vulgar, I suppose. But did you uh, watch or read um, Gone Girl? Uh, no. There was a there's a joke in that basically where the the main character and his sister they open a bar and the bar is called the bar and um, they do it in kind of small town Missouri I think and they think they're being terribly clever and none of these hicks will get the joke uh, and obviously they do and they just don't think it's very funny <laughs> they think it's like kind of quite a lame joke um, but I was reminded of that with this exact the same thing the 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 bar the sign being. The band is there yeah. a band called the band? Um, <laughs> well, there's a band called the the, um, which I guess is yeah is um, is 
doing the same thing okay. yet further. Same idea. Yep. Everyone gets the joke. And then he suggests, why don't we call the village instead <laughs> yeah. of uh, Xinhua Tsun, the apricot blossom village, why don't we call it Dao Xiang Tsun, which is Xiang being fragrance and Dao being, yeah, as a word for rice, basically. Um, the rice plant itself, which is itself from a, a, another um, another old poem. Um, yeah, he says, as, as for the name of the village, Apricot Village is much too obvious. Why not Sweet Rice Village? From the words of the old poem, a cottage by the water stands where sweet the young rice smells. Uh, and, and the literary gentlemen, yeah, they're very, very impressed by this. Um, there are a lot of uh, olfactory references in this chapter and maybe in this book in general. Uh, yeah, I've never read a book that has... That smelled as much as this one did. <laughs> well, well, it's important not to overlook, right? You know, it's it's yeah. They yeah. recognize it as being very important to the, um, to rec yeah, recognizing it as one of the you know as one of the senses as one of the ways of appreciating mm -hmm. a garden, garden as well. It's not it's not simply yeah. a visual affair. Mm -hmm. uh, I think we forget um, that in our like Instagram uh, mediated. Uh, well, what I want to know is when is. When is technology going to allow us to to experience things by smell? You know. <laughs> well, I mean, there's been smell vision, right? You like, it's been tried. I remember in the '90s. It's a very '90s phenomenon where, like, you you get something in the newspaper, and at the key moment, you're supposed to like scratch. You know, I seem to recall. I have a memory, a very like hazy memory from childhood of of smelling something that was on TV. Bizarre. Bizarre. <laughs> maybe it's not, maybe but that no, that, that sounds incredible. Uh, I, I think <laughs> that's an amazing way of doing things. But we're going to have to come up with higher tech ways of doing it. I think that we need to have, you know, kind of uh, electrodes connected directly to the brain to stimulate the part of the brain to make it to make you imagine that you are smelling things rather than actually directly smelling them. Yeah, mind control using using smells. Absolutely. That's a, the last thing people uh, are afraid of, but it's going to be the most dangerous in the long term. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so what happens next? Let's see here. Uh, basically, then they launch into the uh, this kind of question of over, you know, this is too fake, man. Yeah. You know, as we were saying, Jia Zhang is already uh, annoyed with the boy. And he's before they have the discussion about nature, he's given him this very strict, you know, uh, it's, it goes beyond just a kind of dressing down. It's actually kind of unpleasantly personal um, where he tells him that he's just a stupid kid and nobody's really interested. You know, you didn't think we were taking your suggestions seriously, yeah. did you? You know, we were doing it just for a laugh, um, you know. Yeah, it was like a practical joke almost. Yeah, so really, really um, putting him down. And then they have the discussion on nature. Jia Zhang cuts him off and he... he at first, he sends him away, and then immediately changes his mind, and he says, "No, wait, come back. You haven't. You have to compose a poem for this place. You know, if you think you're so hot, you know." How did you interpret that? Because part of me was like, "Well, maybe he really does like uh, Bao Yu's contributions," or is he just? It was a very strange. It's like I'm. I'm so angry at you, but wait a second. Like, come back here. You still have to. You still have to compose a poem. Uh, I agree, right? He, I think <laughs> he feels really very funny. conflicted about the whole thing. I think that he 
is impressed, but he's also, I don't know, inherently unable to praise his son when he does well. Uh, his his yeah. instinctive reaction is always to put him down and always to err on the side of criticizing rather than praising. And he, um, he threatens violence. If the, if the couplet's not good enough, he's going to slap him. Yeah. Uh, which is, <laughs> could you imagine yeah. a modern parent like coming to blows if their child, if their poetry is not up to snuff? Yeah. <laughs> That's so funny to me. Yeah. Like maybe if, you know, if they're like, if they do bad at the, uh, do poorly at the a basketball game or something, you can imagine. A, yeah. Or a, if your homework a, is not good enough, I suppose. Yeah, or homework that would make a little more sense. Yeah. Uh, but I just can't imagine we're so we, we we're living in such an unpoetic time. The idea yeah. of anyone coming to blows over poetry—it's like almost like it's, I don't know. It's like it's funny. I don't want to say it's inspiring, but it's it's something. I don't know. Well, well the thing is, if you think of rap music as poetry, you know, uh, okay, then you know it's not that far fetched. You know, like um, yeah. I I saw someone joke that like um, like when rappers are doing like if they're doing like diss tracks back and forth to each other if you think about it it's just like two men it's like men sitting alone in separate rooms writing poetry for each other um is a way of thinking is like a very strange way of thinking about it but it is kind of accurate you know and that that is a modern example i suppose of one's ability to write poetry um being very tied to um respect and credibility and that's really interesting yeah like it's i suppose it's it's yeah we we've really like yeah with the exception of rap it seems like we've become a very unpoetic uh like people um oh definitely yeah even you know a lot of our poetry now like you know i, I don't want to like cast aspersions on poetry but you, you know a lot of it it's really like uh, unrelatable um there's a lot of like uh you, you're not allowed to rhyme anymore in poetry it's become kind of um often arrhythmic uh like very dissident at times uh and so there, there's something really interesting going on so where so kevin wilson is not a fan of not not a fan of modern poetry are you no i, I don't want to say that uh and you know <laughs> I, I i share poetry on on twitter and you know like i and translations of stuff but like you, you know there are these kind of it's interesting uh where like the only place where rhyming is still uh, alive is probably in music and rap music and in pop music if you if you if you were to go to a, a poetry reading and, and present your rhyming couplets, I think you would be uh, laughed at, right? I, I don't know. I honestly I don't know enough about it. And I'm I'm just thinking about that. Um. Uh, it's, uh, but anyway. Um, <laughs> so you want to talk about this uh, epic rap battle here, uh, round yes. round five? Is this or are we still part of round four? I think this is still. This is still part of round four, I guess. Um, yeah, yeah. Round round four is a, uh, you know, there's there's a a lot of, a lot of blows are. It's a double header, definitely. This one, there's some, there is some stuff to say here. Um, the the English, the the Hawks translation is, uh, well, we hear first of all, you know. Bayou stood quivering with fright and for some moments was unable to say anything. So I mean he's he's uh 
he's too scared to really speak to begin with, um, but he manages to pull himself together. At last, he recited the following couplet. Emergent buds swell where the washerwoman soaks her cloth. A fresh tang rises where the crest gatherer fills his pannier. And Jia Zheng's response to this is, worse and worse. <laughs> but he at least doesn't slap, at least he doesn't slap him across the face. Interesting. Um, so what's wrong with this poem? What, what do you think? Uh, does, I think it's quite good. Yeah, uh, it's fine, right? Does Jia not like the reference to this, um, this kind of low status woman basically washing clothes is that too uh is that not not pristine enough maybe what do you think well maybe but the thing is i so i i did quite a bit of reading on this poem because i was interested by it um and it's there's quite a lot of layers of of kind of meaning i suppose um so yeah the first line is uh in chinese um xin lu so new green Zhang Tian is to mm-hmm. fill up. Huan Ge Chu. So Huan being to wash. Uh-huh. Ge being a kind of vine, basically. Yeah. Uh, so washing the vine. Or, Chu or cloth. being a place. Yeah, it could be like Yeah, a, yeah. So Ge here is... Yeah. It's... it's a, Because this is a vine that you can make into thread and then into cloth. Like hemp, it's, um, maybe. Something like that. Yeah, something like that, basically. Um it, yeah, here it means cloth, even though it's really vine. Uh, so new green fills up the, the clothes washing place, right? Um, straightforward mm-hmm. enough. But there's, yeah, there's this greater sort of, greater sort of meaning to it. Um, so this, the washing, the washing the clothes uh, is a reference to a poem in the the poetry classic, the Shi Jing, which is, you know, one of the old classic chinese canonical texts um and and in it basically a new daughter-in-law washes her husband's clothes um you know and they're they're made of this you know hemp like cloth basically um and so this is a very oblique reference to um yuan chun the 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 newly made up concubine, basically, uh, imperial concubine. So it's a kind of reference to her new status. So so as concubine, she has a kind of wife-like status, even though she doesn't carry necessarily the title wife. And, and she probably would not be washing any clothing. She, she wouldn't, no. No, it's more of a... Symbolic. Yeah, it's a symbolic, exactly, kind of thing. Um, um, but what's interesting to me about that is it comes from the Shi Jing, the, the poetry classic. And way back, I think, in chapter 9... There was this conflict between mm-hmm. Jia Zheng and his son Jia uh, Baoyu. Exactly, yeah. Where Jia Zheng berates him for not studying the correct canonical texts. Uh, so he is a believer in what's called the Su Shu, the four books, which are these four foundational works of Confucian thought, uh, rather than studying the Wu Jing, which are like the five. They're kind of five classics, essentially, which uh, mm-hmm. are like other equivalently old or yet older still works, uh, which include the poetry classic. Um, and he kind of shows his ignorance of this fact. Uh, it seems like Jia Zhang has maybe not read them or is not familiar with a lot of these other, you know, equally old, important works and has this much more kind of narrow view. And this is maybe a reflection of him not recognizing this reference. Uh, and that's why he says it's. He thinks the poem is bad. This resonates with our discussion uh, 
Yeah, in chapter nine of, uh, we talked a little bit about Anthony Yu's work, also entitled Rereading the Stone, uh, where he he lays out this uh, this distinction. So if, if listeners want to go back, they can re-listen to our uh, chapter nine discussion. Yeah. And then briefly, just the, the second part of the poem um, in, in Chinese is um, Hao Yun, which literally means good clouds. Xiang uh, Hu, so Xiang being fragrant and Hu being uh, protect or defend, uh, kind of guard. Mm-hmm. And then Cai Qin Ren, so the person who gathers uh, something like wild celery or some kind of, you know, green vegetable. And this is an interesting as well, uh, interesting one as well. Uh, so Hao Yun good clouds uh is potentially a pun on hao yun i.e good luck um so the good cloud fragrantly protects uh, yeah fragrantly like protects or guards the person who gathers wild celery kind of sounds a bit mad doesn't really make that much sense but as with the first line this ostensibly sort of like rural image actually kind of contains within it uh, this 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 symbolic reference so the cai qin ren the 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 celery gathering person um this is a very archaic and quite like esoteric reference to uh scholars and by extension the sort of the educated and noble class um uh in china um and so the idea of the clouds you know hiding protecting the um the scholars may well be a kind of reference to yuan chun's new status as concubine being a kind of a protection for the family generally you know the fact that she's been shown this favor by the emperor may augur kind of a good future for the family at least that's the kind of the the suggested hope here okay so it sounds like this is a really uh, a very sophisticated poem, then. Yeah, actually, just looking at it, the 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 celery. I think Hawks makes it wild cress, but the cress or celery gatherer is itself a reference from the the Shijing, the poetry classic. So it's two images, one in each line, from this this kind of uh, classic work, and um, which his father told him not to read. Yeah, so it's maybe that, but um, maybe maybe his dad just doesn't get the he doesn't understand the references. That's basically the end of the round. Uh, I think Bao Yu performed admirably, um, but y- the tension is rising. Should we move forward? What do you think? Um, yeah, let's 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 continue through the garden. On we go. Okay, so this is the next. We're on to round five. Uh, so, uh, Jung led them out of the village, quote unquote, and round the foot of the hill through flowers and foliage by rock and rivulet past rose crowned pergolas and rose twined trellises through small pavilions embowered in pe- embowered in peonies where sweet of sweet briars stole or pliant plantains waved. Until they came to a spot where a musical murmur of water issued from a cave in the rock. The cave was half veiled by a green curtain of creeper, and the water below was starred with bobbing blossoms. What a beautiful spot, 
the literary gentleman exclaimed. Very well, gentlemen. What are you going to call it? Okay, so what are, what's, what are the suggestions? <laughs> so yeah, they're laying, they're laying down the, you know, we've had another description of the beautiful place and they're laying down another challenge for the literary gentleman and for Bao Yu. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. So they, again, they draw on classic but slightly tired, I guess, slightly tired literary allusions, don't they? Um, <laughs> so they talk about... There's a um, reference to uh, uh, Tao Yuanming, a famous 4th and 5th century Eastern Jin and uh, Liu Song dynasty poet who is known for his writing uh, about the countryside and rural and kind of rustic settings. And this, the specific poem that's referenced is this... Uh, Wuling Yuan, the Wuling stream. So what do they what do they say? So we have this the stream emerging from the rock, um, and there are yeah these green creepers dangling down from the rock, just kind of touching the top of the water, I suppose, and and other flower blossoms um, bobbing in the water, and so they naturally imagine yeah this this Wuling Yuan, um, but again I think it's um, the name of a real place. Um, um, it's actually one of the most famous uh, scenic spots in the whole of China, um, Wulingyuan. It's a place in Hunan province. Um, it's also known by the name Zhangjiajie. Uh, mm -hmm. um, and it has these incredibly sort of um, striking uh, limestone mountains um, that form because of the way that they've weathered, they form very vertical uh, spires that just kind of poke straight up out of the ground like fingers. They were actually, <laughs> actually featured um, in the in the movie Avatar. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so it's a very very scenic spot, basically. Um, but um, it's rather tired. It's not original enough in in Jia Zhong's view. I'm trying to imagine what the um, American equivalent would be, like. <laughs> It's. I mean, it's not quite the Grand Canyon, but it's something like that. It's maybe more like one of the, somewhere from like Yellowstone, maybe or okay, uh, like Zion National Park, something like that, maybe. Like calling your, uh, yeah, calling a big tree in your backyard sequoia or something. I don't know. Yeah, th that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the second suggestion is, the um, to call it the refuge of the Qins. So, um, uh, in Chinese. Uh, so the old house or the old r refuge of the Qin people, uh, which again is a is a is a reference to some uh, kind of old poetry. But um, Bao Yu himself this time says no, that's that's inappropriate because mm -hmm. the Qin dynasty, which is China's first imperial dynasty, was a, a very short-lived one, and it's rather kind of renowned for its the most famous emperor of that time. Qin Shi Huang um, is known as a very brutal emperor and so calling it the refuge of the Qins makes it sound as though it's a place for people taking refuge from a, an iniquitous okay, yeah. kind of tyrant of an emperor which is yeah would be inappropriate for for a yeah. garden for an imperial concubine so what what is Bao Yu suggest instead he suggests uh, in the Hawks translation it is 
Smartweed Bank and Flowery Harbor. What do you think about that? Sounds a bit awkward, doesn't it? Um, uh, I guess it's uh, Liao Ting Hua Xu in, in Chinese. Maybe it yeah. sounds better in Chinese. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it definitely sounds much less clumsy, doesn't it? Um, and again, this is dismissed by Jia Zheng. Uh, he just says rubbish in the in the English <laughs> translation. Um, in Chinese, Gong Shi Hu Shuo. Yeah. I would say that's basically it for this. This is a shorter round because uh, we're about to move on now to a fairly, a pretty interesting description of a fairly complex, I guess, archae- architectural uh, landscaping feat. The, the description, both in English and in Chinese, is a bit perplexing. I was trying to imagine what this is. Um, maybe let me read from the Hawks just a, a very brief passage. Um, so all of a sudden there's a very steep path uh, and it's so steep that they it seems as if they have to like uh, cling to various vines and branches along the way um, but then they finally reach a stream uh, it's wide and deep uh, there's fallen blossoms all around I would say there really is a, a kind of a kind of a Garden of Eden vibes to this whole excursion you know it, it really is um the natural equivalent of ornate it, it's uh it's pretty miraculous i'd say um yeah it's it's it is marvelous in its original sense you know uh-huh. full of marvels. yeah full of marvel um aw- awesome in the sense of yeah full of awe <laughs> indeed and then all of a sudden they come to this there's a fork in the road they take one of the paths and they come to a kind of airy building, I'm reading from the Hawks here, with roofs of tile, whose elegant surrounding wall was of gray plastered brick pierced by ornamental grills made of semicircular tiles laid together in open work patterns, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, and Jia Zheng is like, well, this building is kind of out of place. But then as they enter into the building, they find that uh, there's like, it's basically a kind of enclosure for this small mountain of, of rock uh, with various holes and fissures and uh, there's all kinds of creepers and uh, plants and herbs, no trees, uh, growing uh, in great uh, you know, profusion. And, and here again, it, it, the, uh, the language almost like spontaneously breaks into into poetry uh yeah shall i shall i read it for us so it says not not a single tree grew in this enclosure only plants and herbs some aspired as vines some crept humbly on the ground some grew down from the tops of rocks some upwards from their feet some hung from the eaves in waving trails of green some clung to pillars in circling bands of gold some had blood-red berries, some had golden flowers, and from every flower and every plant and every herb wafted the most exquisite and incomparable okay. fragrances. You know, this passage uh, really got me thinking about um, one of the theories I had earlier on was that, you know, maybe this garden in its physical uh, arrangement and in its contents 
was um, a kind of microcosmic device where a lot of the major plot elements, maybe characters of the um, of the story, are recapitulated within it. Uh, and I really got those vibes here um, in, in various ways. Like, for instance, what Hawks is rendered as some hung from the eaves in waving trails of green. Um, that waving trails of green in the original is Tui Dai Piao Yao, which the Tui Dai, it's very similar to the image in, we will recall the Jade Belt. Uh, from chapter five, that, that was a kind of um, a displacement of um, of Daiyu's name as Black Jade. It became Yu Dai, and and actually uh, a a Tui Dai. It's the same Dai. It's the same belt, and and uh, Tui is a kind of a bluish green, and it, it could also indicate Jade, like a yeah. It's, right? it's it's often Jade colored. So it, that Tui. that yeah. kind of like. Uh, you know, my my alarm went off there. Like, oh, maybe this is like a um, a kind of microcosmic moment, especially because also the next line, the circling bands of gold, uh, the Jingui, uh, there, I was thinking again. Uh, well, I, I mean, we we've seen Jin before in in terms of Baochai. I've also I was also thinking of in uh in Shanglings or in Inglian in Lotuses or. Uh, in Caltrop, you know, those are her four names. Uh, in her poem, there is a mention of the uh, the, the Cassia, the, the Gui. And um, as actually the, the character that's represented by Gui hasn't been introduced yet, but it's a kind of an important character who sort of leads to, you know, uh, some bad things that happened to Xiangling. Uh, and so I was thinking, like, oh, well, there's that, there, there's that, the same reference again. Maybe this is a moment of, uh, of like hidden meaning. I, I don't know. Did, were your, uh, did you have any visions at this moment? Were you? I, I didn't have visions in the same way, but I do absolutely agree with what you're saying that um, there is this feeling here of this being, yeah. Uh, uh, some kind of visual representation of different different characters in the story um kind of together um i was wondering if this was really a, an actual space that's being you know the author is thinking of something from his past or whether maybe this came to him in a dream you know maybe this is just a kind of inspired idea because it, this idea of like an enclosed mountain with moss it's it's a little strange i think this is very um dreamlike uh because it's it's almost hard to describe you know that it says you know there's this airy building the wall was so constructed that outcrops of rock from the garden's master mountain appear to run through it in several places into the courtyard inside and then yeah you can see that basically in this very kind of clever way somehow the part of the mountain runs through the walls of this courtyard into into the middle and the but the space is kind of difficult to describe somehow it's it's somehow it slightly defies description and that to me is a very dreamlike thing you know you things exist outside of the usual three dimensions in which we would perceive them it's a mountain but it's also indoors you know and another thing just in this chapter generally is that they whenever they encounter new things it's frequently 
described as being a sudden they see it suddenly so they use this character who um which is used in describing suddenness or like abruptness and yes you could design the garden in a, in a kind of ingenious way so that things do emerge in a way that's kind of not expected uh not maybe anticipated but the suddenness does give it a very kind of a much more dreamlike quality because in in dreams you're not you're not kind of constrained in the same way by the kind of parameters of reality so what you're seeing in front of you can suddenly and abruptly just change in an instant in a way that it can't in the real world so they go on and have this discussion about what all the different kinds of uh flowers are right and again the smell is really emphasized here again um and it's actually in this context that uh they're trying to figure out what these what these flowers are um and, and Baoyu has a kind of another uh surprisingly sort of a assertive almost condescending remark i think where he's like, you know, um, they're trying to figure out what they're smelling. Especially, I, I think the enclosure had the effect of enhancing the smell, right? Yeah, absolutely. By making it enclosed, those, yeah, those scents, they, they linger. Somehow. And he has a remark, uh, you know, the red flowers are, of course, rue, the herb of grace. And we, we saw that actually in chapter eight, when his, his study is the red rue study. So we see some recurring images there. Oh, interesting. And the green ones must be green flag. Uh, let's see here. That's Qingzhir. It's the same Qing that we've been emphasizing. And then he says a lot of the the rare flowers, the Yi Tao, are mentioned in uh, Li Sao and in Wenxuan, particularly in the poetic descriptions of the three capitals by uh, Zuo Si. And that was kind of interesting because... Uh, so, uh, Li Sao. Actually, the uh, the name of the um, our intro music is a song entitled Li Sao. So it's that that song is named after this famous poem from the Chutsu, from the uh, the Songs of South. And actually, in that poem, the uh, there's a, there's a really great emphasis on the the fragrance of flowers. Um, and basically what happens, it's a really interesting poem. Um, even at the time, it was said to be really hard to read. It was written in this kind of strange southern Chu, uh, like uh, with Chu dialect and illusions. Uh, and, and there's said to be certain shamanic qualities to it. And, and so what happens in, that, in this famous poem is that there's a spirit uh, who, who descends from the sky. He... Uh, he inhabits the body of a female shaman. And so there's this kind of trans, uh, almost like transgender element to it. And, um, and, and he, he, you know, he's in this sort of subordinate relationship with uh, the ruler as one of his ministers. But then the ruler, uh, kind of his tastes change and he starts like literally liking foul smelling uh, he starts wearing foul-smelling clothing, weeds. So it's, it's very, it's really interesting. And 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 for this reason, the uh, the spirit shaman, 
you know, he decides to leave the kingdom uh, and, and then go on these um, kind of like hallucinogenic uh, journeys through uh, space and time. Uh, so it's a, it's a pretty cool poem. It's, it's one of the most famous. It's, it's a, a, a Chu Yuan poem. It's, it's a, probably his most famous uh, work. Uh, and that's what, uh, that's what Bao Yu is referencing here in the context of this uh, fragrant indoor mountain uh, dream scene. It, it sounds completely bonkers. Um, yeah, yeah. We should have a yeah. We should have a Lee Sao episode one day. That'd be really fun. I think so. Yeah, it'd be kind of cool to go and read it. But that just emphasizes the the this like uh, surreal or dreamlike quality of the the space they're in at the moment, right? Where yeah. The garden is full of you know plants and flowers from a kind of indecipherable uh, poem from millennia previously. Um, all of those flowers and things have just kind of been planted here or sprung up here. <laughs> 